Hi everyone, I hope you're all well. I've got a fabulous guest today, I'm really excited. It's the author Ken Follett and he's written so many brilliant novels and sold millions and millions worldwide and um, I'm dying to pick his brains. His new book, which is the fifth in the Kingsbridge series, is released this week so you can go and buy at any bookstore or online I presume. Anyway, here we go. Well, this is fabulous, Ken. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. It's a pleasure. I've been trying to get you on it for about a year, haven't I? But this yeah. is a brilliant day to do it because your new book is published today. Today is publication day for the Armour of Light. And and this is, am I right in thinking it's the fifth novel to the Pillars of the Earth series? Yeah, that's, that's right. Wow. Pillars of the Earth was set in a town called Kingsbridge. And since then, mm-hmm. I've set a lot of stories in that town. Um uh, maybe it's just laziness, didn't want to have to make up another medieval town, you know. But but I quite like it and the readers quite like it because they remember about the town from previous books and like that. So uh, it's been a big success, but I think this one is probably going to be the last because I think I've done enough. And you know how I believe that you've got to stop doing something before the public gets bored with it, not after. But, you know, as you know, because I've been texting you I've just finished the century trilogy and I have to tell you I was I was quite bereft for a few days because I loved them so I think I I mean just so the listeners know Ken and I do know each other and I was texting you through reading them wasn't I yes, when I read yes. the first one and then I read the second one um, and and actually I, I I slowed my reading down for the last half of the last book because I didn't want it to end <laughs> because you get so involved because in 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 the trilogy um just to explain to everyone it's it's about five different families isn't it that yeah, are interconnected that's right, yeah. that's right Welsh German Russian English and American. and you go through two world wars and then up until what that till the Berlin Wall, Wall comes down it's about then isn't yes it? <clears throat> although the the, the epilogue is the election of Barack that's Obama. Right. Yeah, that, that's that right. Yeah, and uh, I was I was so pleased that you liked them so much, and I was pleased that you slowed down reading towards the end because you didn't want it to finish. No, I which didn't is want a, it to. End. I mean, a, I, I do get like that with books if I love them so much. Yeah, but those yeah. particular, and I still miss them actually. It's such a compliment. It's such a compliment, <laughs> and of course, it is. It is what I'm aiming for all the time that people will get so into the books that they don't want to stop and I always say you know if you if you if you're disappointed when your plane lands because you've got to close the book then that's a really good sign that's true actually that's true and I actually that happens to me with um, radio uh, drama on the radio I, I've many times I've sat in the car because I've been driving home when a radio four play comes on and there's like 10 minutes to go and I'm outside my house and I'll stay in the car to, you know, because you've got to know what the end see, is. See, that's, see, that's, that's so, that's a real, that's a real tribute to the people making the show, isn't it? It it's is. Great. It's no, absolutely, absolutely great. Well, you certainly have done it with your books. Before we go on, have you got your cup of tea? 
Well, I've actually, this time of the morning, got coffee. I hope you don't mind. You're allowed. Oh, a pretty cup. Thank you. And I, the truth is I wouldn't mind a glass of rosé, but... <laughs> oh, you a rosé drink? I'm a rosé drinker. Lunchtime. I love rosé at lunchtime. Oh, no, I have, it, I have it in the evening. Have a glass of rosé with my dinner. I used to love red, but I t- it kind of gives me a headache now, so oh. I stick to my rosé. Rosé over ice. That's my, oh. my poison. Oh, how nice. Very nice, mm. very nice. So <laughs> I'm going to take you back. You were born in Wales, right? Yeah, born in Cardiff, yeah. Cardiff. Uh, I read that your mum and dad didn't let you watch TV. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. My family were very uh, strict members of a Christian sect and it was felt that um, TV and movies and even radio uh, would be bad for me. Perhaps it would be bad for I don't know. Maybe they were right. But I, at the time, of course, uh, everybody I knew, all the kids I knew, went every Saturday morning. It was called Saturday Morning Pictures. And uh, and they took, you know, school on Monday morning. They'd all be talking about what Flash Gordon or whatever it was. And I wasn't allowed to go. So I was outraged, you know, at the age of about seven that I wasn't allowed to go to this. But, in, but, I, but when I was seven, I joined the public library. I'd been a reader already, you know, and the, the, they'd, I'd get a book for Christmas and a book for my birthday and it wasn't anywhere near enough. But my parents, my parents weren't poor, but they didn't have money to buy me books all the time. Uh, and then I joined the public library and I couldn't believe it. It was like Christmas every day. Any book you want for nothing. And, uh, you know, I read all the way through my childhood and adolescence. And that's really how you learn how to write a novel. Because by the time you get to your 20s and you start thinking about writing some fiction, you know a terrific amount about novels because you've read so many. You know how to start it. You know about chapters and paragraphs, describing scenery, doing dialogue. You know all that because you've been reading it for years. You still... Well, I still had a lot to learn when I started to write, but I had a a lot of it was already under my belt. But it's interesting you say that because I've always been an avid reader. I love, I mean, that's one of my passions. I love sewing and cooking and reading. They're my, like, hobbies. But I have never, ever had the inclination. I've written little stories pertaining to what happened to me for articles, you know? Oh, yeah. And I can do that. That's two, three paragraphs. Okay. But the thought of sitting and and I've read so many different I love novels, they're my favorite. Either romantic novels or thrillers uh, are my kind yep. of passions. And uh, but I've never ever had the inclination to because I think is am I right it doesn't don't, isn't it like a passion that you have to sit down and write? Well, certainly um with me, you know, I, when I finish a book and finally send it off to the publisher, I do sometimes think I should have a couple of weeks off and not not think about my next book. But it never really works because after about 10 days, I'm already thinking about a new story and I want to make notes. And so and I have no desire at all to retire. I mean, what, why retire when I'm do, doing something that I really love? So I suppose it is I suppose it is a passion. I've never thought of it that way. I've always thought of it as something I just like a lot. Interesting. So when you left school, you didn't go straight into writing novels. You, you did journalism, didn't you? Yeah, I, I went to university and when I came out, I, my first job was newspaper reporter and I actually went back to Cardiff and worked for the South Wales Echo. 
I had when I was ten years old, my family left Cardiff, and uh, we moved to London. That's that's why I speak like a Londoner, not like a Welshman. Uh, but then when I got this, I got this job. I went back, and so I worked on the Echo for a couple of years. Good good time of my life actually i really enjoyed that it was a good paper it really served the community you know uh, and then i got a job on the evening news in london which oh, yeah, which I remember that. no longer exists no. but it wasn't my fault <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, and then i just you know i was working for newspapers and i realized that i didn't really love newspapers and what i really loved was novels like you and so I started trying to to write. I wrote a few short stories which nobody ever published. They weren't any good. And then I decided to try my hand at a novel. But there was a particular reason why at that moment I tried to write a novel. Shall I tell you the story? Yeah, please. See, my car broke down and uh, I took it to the garage and they said it's going to cost £200 to repair. So this is 1973. It was a lot of money. I didn't have it, so I went to the bank and said, would you lend me £200 to get my car repaired? They said, no. They didn't. <laughs> yeah, they said absolutely no. So anyway, there was a journalist on the paper, who sat next to me usually, and he had written a thriller and got it published. And we were all so interested in this, you know. We said, how how did you find the time to write it? How did you find a publisher? And how much did you get paid? And he said, £200. <laughs> So I went home and said, car. I was married to my first wife, Mary. I went home and said, I'm, I know how I'm getting the car back. I'm going to write a thriller. And she was like, a, oh, yeah, That's <laughs> good, <hysterical>. right. <laughs> anyway, I did. That is amazing that that was the thing that instigated your career. That's right. It was. It was. Yeah. And what was the so, first? So it... I, I wrote a thriller. I wrote it very quickly. Um, it wasn't really very good, but I sent it to the same publisher that my colleague's book had been published by, and he said, I like it. Um, and so it was published. It wasn't a bestseller, didn't get particularly good reviews, nothing. It was published as a paperback. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal at all. But, you know, I'd got a book published and I thought, well, maybe if I try harder next time, it'll be better and it'll be a bestseller. Well, it took a bit longer than that. And actually, my first bestseller was my 11th book. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that was that was Eye of the Needle, and it was uh, a bestseller all over the world. And um, then I was really... I, say, I, was really I think emotional. that probably changed your life, right? Yeah, didn't absolutely. It, didn't, it sense, didn't I read it sold like 10 million copies or something? Well, it has now, yes. Eye of the Needle, yes, Eye of the Needle has probably now sold about 10 million copies. Um uh, and it's, the great thing is it's still selling, you know. Uh, I wrote it in 1977, so that's 46 years ago, isn't it? Um, uh, Lee Ch I, was, I was talking to Lee Child about this. He said, he said, this is such a great job, writing a novel. He said, you write a book and 20 years later you're still getting paid for it. <laughs> which, that's which true, is, actually. If, which is true, you know, if you write the kind of book that, that does sound yeah. like that. Yeah. So when that happened with that, did it did it immediately change your lifestyle? I mean, presumably before that, you were still working in another job, were you? And doing I was working for a publisher, <laughs> living oh, okay. living in Canberra. Yes, I left the newspapers and went to work for a publisher because I, I said I didn't really love newspapers. I decided I really loved books, 
Anyway, working for a publisher, living in Camberley, and I had a Ford Cortina. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, we, I started to make all this money. And my first wife and I had often talked about how we'd like to live in France oh, for a while. Okay. Uh, we thought it would be good, you know, for the children to learn to speak French and and I still love France. Because didn't I, you had children everything. quite young, didn't you? Yeah, awfully young. Yes, my son first. My son was born when I was nineteen. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was one of those. You know, I I don't make any bones about it. We we were the last couple in England who had to get married. Remember that <laughs> phrase? They yeah. had to get married. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, along comes. Uh, along comes this little baby, and uh, you you adore him. Of course. And we, although we, we lived in one room, but actually it was quite a happy time of my life because we were t- taking care of this little boy, and uh, we adored him, and it was quite exciting, you know. So although you think of that, having to get married, it was always seen, oh, what a disaster and everything. It was actually quite nice. It was. Oh, it, I lovely. didn't regret it. I didn't regret it at of all. Of course time. not. I mean... They do change your life completely when you have a baby, but it's don't the, be- they? That, the best Well, they take thing. control. Yeah. They t- you, become, you become a slave. Yeah, forever. <laughs> yes. Actually, but yeah. what I loved about it, all the things... I mean, I had my daughter, Carly, at, at 29, but all the things I used to worry about, all stupid things, really, suddenly when you've got this little thing that needs you and you love them so much. Yeah. All the other things uh, just seem irrelevant, don't they? <laughs> yes, it kind yes, of put, right. Especially from what happened to me so young, it kind yeah. of puts everything into perspective really because you think, yeah. well, that's lovely and it's I love what I do, but, it, you know, this is the important thing, this baby. Yeah, this is real life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And the greatest, you know, the greatest present I've ever received was during that time. And the way my first wife and I, you know, we split up the duties because I was going to college, she was going to work and baby went to a creche in the day and then in the evening we had to do... And those were the days of cloth nappies. I think they were terribly. So um, they weren't throwaway. You had to wash them. I won't go into all the details, but there was a tiny bathroom in this little one-room uh, we had, it, was a one, it was one room and a little kitchen and bathroom. I was responsible for nappies. That's how we we divided up. And it was <laughs> I didn't mind the, I didn't mind washing them and all that. And um, but it was quite difficult to dry them. Yeah. And my then mother in law gave us a spin dryer. It changed my life. It was the <laughs> best present ever. That's Just really... so great. Instead of having all those nappies hanging over the bath, we put them in the spin dryer and they were nearly dry. Amazing. Oh, yeah, I love that spin dryer. <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder where it, I wonder where it is now. <laughs> so did you actually, you earlier you were saying you thought about moving to France, did you? So we did then, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, in 1979, after I of the Needle was published, we went to France and, and I still love it. And I had a, um, although I came back to live in England, I had an apartment there on the outskirts of Cannes in oh, the okay, south. Lovely. Yeah, which was, we had that for many years by, with my second wife, Barbara. And, and then she got elected to Parliament. You know, we used to go, we used to go to Cannes once a month for a long weekend. It was just lovely, winter and summer. And then Barbara got elected to Parliament. 
and we didn't go there for two years. And I said to her, there's no point in keeping this flat. We ha we, you haven't got, Barbara didn't have time to take a weekend off. So we sold that, that uh, flat, which is, I mean, you know, life's like that. It's, it is. It's, it's wonderful for a while and then you, life changes. Yeah. And did you ever get another place in France? No, no, no we, we never no, we, did. We did, the, not, not the same, but when I met Lee, my husband, um, he had a, a, a lovely old village house in Mallorca. Ooh. which we love. And it was old and it was very funky. It wasn't posh. We didn't have a swimming pool, but it was fabulous. It was in a little old village up a little cobblestone street and, uh, and it had the old fireplaces. You know, it was wonderful. How nice. But then one of us got a big job in L.A. and we moved to L.A., you know, and we weren't going to Mallorca and, you know, and, and Lee said, this is silly, we should sell it. But he's kind of always regretted it, really, because there's we still love Mallorca and we, we go there and rent places. But that lovely little old rundown house was kind of, the kids loved it, absolutely loved it. And we'd all pile into a kind of Fiat 500 and go to the beach and it would break <laughs> down. And But they were really happy days, actually. Yeah, yeah. I really get it. Happy I get days, it. But um, so I do understand that. When you were doing, I keep referring to the um, Century trilogy because I, I, as you know, I've just finished it. But you know, there there are so many different aspects to it, and they're all from different countries. Do you go like the Russians, the Germans, you know, the English? Do you go to all these places when you you're researching it? Yes, I do. If I possibly can, I do find it helpful. You know, you can get a lot from maps and photographs and films and so on. But it, but I do prefer to go there. And I think I've been to all of the places. I had been to all the places that were mentioned in the Century Trilogy, I think. The, the one time I couldn't do that was, um, was in lockdown. Now, I wrote a book called Never, some of which took place in North Africa. And I would have liked to go. Uh, I have been to North Africa, but but not to the what they call the Sahel. But you know what? By that time, by the time I wrote Never, there was this thing called Google Earth. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which means that any place in the world, you can see a photo, you can see a satellite picture of it. And I had these characters crossing the Sahara Desert in a rather dilapidated bus. And um, I could look at everywhere where they went because I could look on Google Earth, even if I'd never been there. So... Uh, there's a way around these things, but I but I prefer. But your to go. research, does it take you months and months to do your research? Because yeah. the other thing with your the, the, this trilogy, I learnt so much historically. I mean, I knew bits. Yeah. You know, because my mum and dad were well, we're born the same year. You're I just looked it up. You're three months older than me, but it's a good year, forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the three months obviously explains why I look so much older than you, Trudy. <laughs> you do not. But, you know, my mum and dad, like your mum and dad, went through the war. Yeah. And, you know, and there's there's so much in those books that I did know bits about, but I didn't right. know that, you know, because yeah. I don't I didn't study yeah. history and I, I yeah. kind of only know what I've read. So I love that aspect of it as well. And I think a lot of your historical books do that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think a lot of readers f like to feel as you do. When you finish the book, I really enjoyed that. And I learned something. Yeah, exactly. And it takes me I spend about a year 
planning the book and doing most of the research. It's quite a long process. And I, 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 um, I read a lot of books and I look at maps and photographs. Sometimes I interview people about it. Um, and I do like to visit places for the armor of light. The armor of light's about the industrial revolution when all these machines transformed people's lives. So I had to know how these machines work. I had to understand the machines. And fortunately, there are several museums in this country that have those machines. In particular, there's one just outside Manchester called Quarry Bank, and it was a mill. Okay. A uh, very big one. And uh, it's owned by the National Trust now. And they really take care of it. And they have the machines, and the machines work. So I was wow. able to see these machines actually working, and which may seem, you know, what's that got to do with the story? But I just like to, I must, I feel I must understand it if I'm going to write about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, I think there's lots of people again like me who who are big readers, but to sit and read a historical account of something that's not, and not, I find I've tried in the past, but I find that quite hard going. That's why I like it yeah. woven into a story. Yeah. If that well, you makes get sense. a bit. I feel the same. You get a bit bogged down in a history book. Yeah. Uh, with all of the details, and if you can get the same details in a story where you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, what's going to happen exactly. next?" Exactly. It's it's just it's easy, isn't it? It's it's easy reading, and you're learning at the same time. I often get letters from. People, people who say, I wish I'd had your books when I was doing history at school. Exactly, because <laughs> actually, although I think I had quite a good history, I, I like my history teacher because, you know, teachers make a subject good or bad for absolutely, me. Absolutely. And I absolutely. loved my history teacher. So, I, And I, I think she was actually quite good because she made it interesting. But I've had other friends who, you know, had, it was just fac facts and figures and that's not what history is about, is it? Well, <laughs> it, it, it isn't really. When when you read history, you do want explanations of why things happened the way that they did. And a lot of history books don't really give you that. So so I'm, I'm sometimes people who write history books aren't trying hard enough. Uh, but even if they do, you find yourself ploughing through a lot of detail uh, and there's there's nothing much to make you want to turn the page. And whereas in in popular fiction, if it's if it's well-written, then you always want to turn the page. Oh, absolutely. Now, you wrote a book called Whiteout, correct, in what, early 2000s? Yes, that's right. Yes, and it that's wasn't true. It about a virus escaping from a lab or something? Exactly. Wow, you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, people used to talk about it. And it, you know, it had never happened, uh, and so it was almost, you know, it was treated as science fiction. But yeah. then, um, then we really discovered, didn't we, to our cost, yep. the reality of uh, these viruses. And and of course, we still don't really know where it came from, whether it came from that meat market or whether it came, came from, from a lab. What from do you are you allowed to say what you think or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell, but I'll tell you what I think. Nobody really knows, but what's very suspicious is that the Chinese government won't allow a proper investigation. Mm. And that makes them look guilty to me. Of course. 
Mm, I agree. Why? Why won't they? I don't. I don't understand why. Well, it well, may be because they're guilty. What we find out. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, they are a bit paranoid, also. So that could be the explanation. One of these days, we'll know. Now, being being a writer, presumably, COVID didn't overly affect you or your work because I would think writing's a very solitary. Absolutely. Occupation. Absolutely. I mean, apart from the fact that I couldn't travel for research, it really oh, didn't yeah. make any difference. In fact, I wrote more quickly in the lockdown because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can't go to you can't you couldn't go to a restaurant with your friends. No, no. It, it wasn't very wise to go to the theatre or the cinema. You know what we did? We we bought one of those huge tellies with a big screen, uh, and we changed you know moved, changed the furniture in one of the rooms of our house so it was like a mini theatre. And we watch things, and we watch. You can watch plays actually on discs. A lot of plays really? available. So we watched some oh. of the old BBC play for today. Things. I didn't know you could get those. Where do you get them from? On Amazon. Oh, yeah. Oh, that ha- would be Harold fun. Harold Pinter and Anne and. Um, oh, okay. And are they the play the plays for today? Those ones. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, some of them were a bit highbrow, but a lot of them were really very good. And some of those writers, some of the people the BBC had writing those plays were really terrific. Alan Bennett, for example, oh, who's always very funny, he wrote. So we did that instead of, we, we couldn't go to the theatre, so we did all that. So we sort of managed and um, and I wrote faster than usual. How interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we were lucky because we, you know, we were in the country and we had a garden. Uh, but the thing for me that was hard was missing, you know, our kids and their kids, our grandchildren. That was the hardest. Because yeah. at the beginning, nobody knew quite how it passed. And, and so oh, everyone, absolutely. we were just being so careful in yeah. our age group. Yeah. And and that was the hardest thing for me. Not You know, I, I was lucky because I was with Lee. We had each other. Yeah. And, yeah. But it was missing, you know, the interaction with our kids. It was, it was I mean, very hard for very people hard. who lived on their own. Oh, well, I felt sorry for, you know, or single parents who had yeah. kids in an apartment without gardens. It must have been yeah. so, so difficult. Yeah, very so, difficult yeah. so I yeah. think we were the lucky ones, actually, although we were the vulnerable ones because <laughs> we're not as young as we used to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we're still going strong. So are you right? Have you started a new one yet? Yes, of course. Well, I finished the Armour of Light at Christmas. And as I said before, I don't I don't really stop. Um, so I started a new book in January. But I can't tell you what it's about because... Secret. The, well, the publishers like to make a big announcement about a year before the book is published. Oh, okay. It's in the newspapers. This is, Ken Follett's got a new book. This is what it's called. This is a picture of the cover. And if I talk about it beforehand, it spoils their announcement. So I apologise. No, of course. No, absolutely. You should keep it secret. That's that's part of the joy, isn't it? Waiting, your readers waiting for it to come out and what it's about. Ooh, I hope so. Wait. I hope so. Now, in 2018, oh, I've got it written down. Yeah, you got the CBE, didn't you, from the Palette? Wasn't that nice? I was yeah. very happy about that. Very Who nice. Who gave it to you? Uh, he was then uh, Prince Charles. Now yeah, king I got mine Charles. from I got mine from Did Prince you? Charles. And now he's the king. Yeah. And you're a dame, aren't you? I that's, am. <laughs> that's very high up. Wow. Very, uh, well, when I got my letter, because I'd never got anything else before... Okay. And I didn't 
I didn't know. You know, it was a, that, that you, I'm sure you got one. It's like you get an official letter, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. just, I, I, I either misread it or it was in kind of that legalese royal writing. I know. I know. And I rang the number at the bottom just to double check. I, I thought, again, I thought it was something else. Okay. And I rang this, <laughs> this lovely lady. She said, no, no, it's a damehood. And I went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and she said, I think you better go and have a stiff drink. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, was, he was lovely, Prince Charles, or the then Prince Charles. And I made sure I wore flat shoes because I thought I'll be so nervous. Were you nervous? Um, not really, not really. I did make a bit of a faux pas because I <laughs> there were behind me in the queue. There was this bloke, um, quite a lot younger than me, and you know we're standing there for quite a long time. Eventually, I turned to him and I said, "What did you do to get your CBE?" He said, "I'm an actor. I'm Tom Hardy." <laughs> Oh, wow. My kid said, how come you had, you didn't recognise Tom Hardy? That's so funny. I'm sure he wasn't offended. <laughs> he was very nice about it. He was yeah, very, he said, I'm sure oh, he's well, a nice chap. Actors change their appearance all the time. Well, that's he, true. He, 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 he's, he, he Yeah, he's a wonderful actor, wonderful actor. Now, a lot, lot of your books have been made into films and TV series. Is that exciting? Yes, it's very exciting. Uh, and, and it's great to see good actors on the screen uh, saying my words. Exactly. You know, that's quite flattering. Do you write the scripts or no. do they? Do you no. kind of do a deal that they can take the story? And Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it nearly always happens, it, it, not just for me but for most people. And, and the reason... And I don't mind that because it's a different art. I tell stories in words and they tell stories in pictures, really. And it is a different art. And uh, um, uh, I don't have... One of one of our kids is quite a successful television director in, in the States. And oh, really? She, Fabulous. Yeah. And she has a very good... You know, she can paint and draw. And she has such a good visual sense. And I don't have that talent, you know. If if they if they said to me, draw a horse or we'll kill you, I would say, shoot me now. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're wrong because you paint an amazing visual picture for me when I'm reading those books. So you do have it, but you paint it in words, if that exactly. makes sense. Exactly. I mean, I know exactly how the... The, the big house in Wales looked and Great. the room that he's... Well, I don't want to spoil it for people, but the Lord seduces the maid. I mean, I've got yeah. it. It's all in my head, that room. And the Williams's little house in, in the valley and, yeah. and the London... You know, and, and then in Russia. I mean, I, that, I think you paint an amazing picture of all those places. Thank you. So you, you, you just do it with words rather yes, than... that's Pick right. Pick the jaws! Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, that's another way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever had um, one done as a film or TV that you weren't happy with or have you been happy oh, with Oh, yes, my... yes. Well, there have <laughs> oh, been yes. a few, yeah. They've been, they've been a few. Uh, oh, Lie Down with Lions, a thriller set in Afghanistan 20, 20 30 years ago. And uh, when we were watching it, my kids left the room. <laughs> I thought, well, there's, that's their verdict on it then. 
so funny. I can't believe it. When um, the key to Rebecca was was actually a nice television series, really nice, really well done, and. Um, when and when was my that? Daughter, I must have missed that. I would that, have loved that. That was that was published in uh, 1980, and the the TV series must have been on in uh, sometime in the early 80s. Oh yeah, I was I was living in the states. That's why. Okay. Anyway, my daughter. At one point, my daughter was watching this on television, and uh, she was she was nine, I think, and she watched it for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then. She, it was my, my first wife, Mary. She said to her mother, did daddy make all this up? <laughs> <laughs> and that was when she first understood what oh, I do for a living, you know. know. It's like <laughs> years ago I was doing a, a big musical on Broadway and my daughter Carly was four and five right. and I used to take her on Saturday matinees okay. to the show and she, I, I did, I deliver her to all the dancers downstairs because they had feathers and sequins and and then sometimes oh, she we'd sit her on in a box so she caught and she thought all mummies did tap dancing and singing on a stage <laughs> <laughs> she didn't didn't know who i was or my career she just thought yeah. that's what mummies did <laughs> it's like brilliant i loved it absolutely hysterical so do you think you'll ever retire or do you think you'll go, just go on writing? I'll, I'll go on, you know, absolutely as long as I can because it's, it's so interesting and it's challenging. You know, if it was easy, I might get bored with it. But it's always a new challenge. A new book is always a new challenge. And uh, that's one of the things that makes it exciting. Uh, and anyway, you know... I've always imagined things, right? When I was a little boy, I was always a cowboy or a pirate or the captain of a spaceship. My imagination's always worked all the time. So if I wasn't writing, I'd still be imagining all these stories and, and I, I would be thinking, why, why don't I just write this down? People might enjoy it. Who, who do you, did you give them to Barbara, your wife, first to yeah, read? Yeah, Barbara reads them. Barbara's an early reader. Uh, some of my kids um, are interested, not all, not all of them. Um, uh, and I've got some friends who I like to show things to because they they make good comments. Um, and then, of course, editors. So I do I spend that I do that year of planning and research. Then I spend a year writing the first draft and I show it to all these okay. people. Then I rewrite it. And is it nerve wracking giving it to some? It's like giving your baby away, isn't it? Well, for I for them to read. I not anymore. I'm, I I might have been nervous about it. Um, I don't know, 40 years ago, but it's just normal. And the thing is, I quite like it because most of these people are people who can say things that help me write a better book. Oh, okay. And that's, that's really, you know, that I really value that. I mean, some people can't do that and they read it and they say, oh, I loved it or something. But yeah. some people will say things like, you know, I um I really didn't like that character. Uh, did you did you intend for me to dislike that character? And it might have been somebody who I thought was nice but eccentric. Or sometimes Barbara will say, a woman would never do that. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite useful because, you know, women buy more books than men do, so it's, it's important yeah, to I was know. Gonna, I was going to ask you that. Are, are the majority of 
your readers, and I think most novel readers, they are women, aren't they? Yes, they are. Women buy more books than men. We know we know that much. I don't think we know for individual writers, but I always have strong female characters in my story. So, do. I, so I think I've got a lot of women uh, readers. You do. Now, you also play bass guitar, right? And a bass balalaika, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, for a little while, I was in a little folk group. I don't really like folk music, but I like the guys in the group, so I enjoyed it. I love folk music. I love it. Well, um, I looked on stage, it didn't look very... The other two guys played guitars, and on stage it didn't look very good to have a a solid bass and an amplifier, you know, it didn't look very folky. So when I was in Russia, I saw this trio playing on the street for money and one of them was playing this huge balalaika. It was, it was, you know, nearly as tall as me. And I said to him, I said to him, what's that? He didn't speak much English. He said, well, it's a balalaika, but it's a bass balalaika. So I thought that would be the solution when I'm appearing in this folk group, instead of having a, bass guitar I'll have a bass balalaika and it'll be a bit of a anyway but I was thinking now where am I going to get one you know so <laughs> on so Amazon I came, I came home and googled it and you've got it I googled it and there was a company in England making bass balalaikas that's so hysterical it was a pig to play it was I was going to say was it different thing fingering and learning well, it, goes, it no it's tuned the same as a bass guitar except it doesn't have the top string so that okay. aspect it wasn't difficult to play from the point of view of finding the right notes but it was quite difficult to get a good noise out of it you know the action you had to press down too hard because of the action of the strings so it was it, it was a bit of a pig but i played it for a few years so did did you kind of go to clubs and things with this we did group? a few yeah do we you did still um, well, well, the the band has changed, so I'm not in a folk group anymore. The, the same two guys are in the band still, but we have a rock band now. <laughs> Brilliant! And, You're a uh, rocker. Yeah, and we play. Usually, we play at charity dinner dances. Because oh. so, we don't charge, we don't ask to be paid, you know. We, we, we do it for the pleasure of playing the music. Lovely. And um, the people come, you know, you've probably been to these things. You arrive, you get a glass of champagne, you sit down, you have dinner, you have more wine. Then there's an hour where it's really boring, where they do an auction and a raffle yeah. <laughs> and all, somebody makes a speech and you're bored out of your mind, so you drink more wine. And then 10 o'clock comes around. And um, we come on stage and we start playing, you know, some, some some the kind of familiar music that you love to get up and dance to. And they all and they all get up from their tables and stagger onto the dance floor <laughs> and and rave for an hour. And it's it's good fun, really. Oh, and uh, and we, so we play the kind of music that that where people say, "I know that number. I know that's Jumping Jack Flash." Oh, that's it's a gas, brilliant. gas, gas. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I met Mick, talking about Jumping Jack Flash, I met Mick Jagger in France last week. Did you? At this big um, dinner in Versailles. You read about it in the papers. Oh, yes, I did. I did. It was uh, with an our king and queen were yeah, there. That's right. They were all there. Everyone and was so very dressed I found dressed myself up. standing next to Mick Jagger and, and I don't didn't know him at all. Uh, and I said to him, I'm very pleased to meet you. My name's Ken Follett. He said, oh, I really like your books. How brilliant. How great. <laughs> Mick Jagger. 
Twiggy you can likes say, my can books. I, can I quote you on my next novel? <laughs> no, I do. I do. <laughs> oh, I bet, you, I bet you've got so many famous people that you don't know. Actually, I, I, do, I do a social, I do Instagram and different oh, yeah. people pop up on Instagram yeah. and yeah. Um, I don't know, I, maybe I follow her, but Michelle Pfeiffer popped up on my Instagram about wow. a month ago with your with the um, Fall of Giants in her hand saying, okay. I love, have you not seen it? No, I haven't seen Go it. Go into Instagram and okay. um, punch her name in. How and I thought, oh, she's reading it the same time as me. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> That's pretty cool, Michelle Pfeiffer. Cool. She's gorgeous. Very cool, yeah. That, that's amazing. So this, you're, you're, you've already got an idea for your next novel. Oh, yes. But we can't hear about it. Yeah. Do you yeah, have so. any other kind of mad, uh, you're a cook? Do you read other I people's do. books? Yes. <laughs> I, I read all the time, like you, and like you, I cook. I don't sew. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> but I like cooking. It's relaxing. Yeah, I do. And, and sometimes Barbara says to me, are you sure you want to cook? Aren't you tired? Um, and it doesn't matter if I'm tired because, you know, I don't make terribly difficult things. Uh, uh, don't make, I don't bake or anything like no, that. No, I don't. Well, we don't eat cakes and things, but there yeah. is something very relaxing about cooking, isn't there? E- exactly. And then you That's get to eat it at the end. And you get to is... eat it. And, and sometimes I have a glass of wine while I'm cooking. Do you do that? No. No, okay. I'm I'm good. I wait till I wait till I sit down to it. No, if I if I did that, it might not turn out edible. <laughs> <laughs> I only need I only need a glass to make me feel kind of relaxed. So that wouldn't that wouldn't be okay. <laughs> really All right, <laughs> good in cooking. I don't think so. But the other thing, you're very very involved in um, politics, aren't you? Yes, and obviously Barbara's been in the gov- you know government mp she was an mp yes and a, and a minister in gordon brown's government and we have we actually barbara and i met at a labor party meeting now how romantic can you get very you know. romantic. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny so we've been we you know so politics has always been something we do together and um before she was an MP, she used to organise training courses for women who wanted to be in politics, wanted to be councillors oh, okay. or okay. members of parliament. Brilliant. And so uh, she asked me to go along and talk about um, press, you know, press coverage. How do, how do you get stories about yourself in the local paper? And I used to go and give a talk. And then I'm afraid Barbara and I started to misbehave. I'm afraid. I'm <laughs> That's hysterical. Uh, Why? Well, the rest, the rest is history. Oh, okay. Well, I won't ask. I won't ask. I won't ask. And I know you've you've had been given so many awards. I can't list them all, but you've got honorary this and award there. I mean, it's endless. It's, it's so, very, it's very pleasing, and I'm 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 very grateful for all of them. I, it's, it's very nice to get get prizes and that sort of thing. I mean, you must be one of Britain's biggest selling authors ever. You must be. You've done, what, so. 44 novels. They've all sold millions. Yeah, we've sold... I got a message from the computer. We've now sold 191 million books. Oh, my goodness. That is good, unbelievable. It? <laughs> it is good. I oh can my... hardly believe it. That's 190 million. Yeah. All around yeah. the world. So they get yes. translated, presumably, Indeed, in different yeah. lang- and languages. And I, I do very well in translation, I think. Perhaps because I... I, you know, the way my prose is not gimmicky. 
mm-hmm. and I don't. I think it's probably not that difficult to translate. You know, it's fairly str- all. I, all I try to do is write clearly, and then occasionally vividly. If I'm if I want to paint a picture in your mind, yeah. But you also do that thing, well, I found, that I couldn't wait. I'd often, when we were, because I usually, my main reading time is is, is in the at night before I go to sleep. And that's my treat to me. <laughs> and sometimes if we're watching something on TV, I, I would make an excuse. I'm really tired, but I'd actually, because I was dying to see what happened next in the story. <laughs> that's great. So I'd give up TV for your book, Ken. <laughs> I love it. It's been so lovely of you to come on and good luck. Well, I don't have to say good luck with your new book. It'll be a smash. And Thank and you. I'm right, it's the fifth one in the trilogy. In, not the trilogy. What do you call a... a f- the Kingsbridge series. Oh, the, the Kingsbridge series. The fifth in the Kingsbridge series, series right. yeah. But yeah. what is five? That's a... Uh, I, I don't, don't know if there's a word there, for it. No, because... Quintology? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I wish you luck with it. And Thank hope- you to see you both soon give my love to Barbara sure will yes and uh, very nice to talk to you and we usually meet at Bill Wyman's parties don't we we do lovely Bill I hope he gives another one yeah (laughs) oh he's such a lovely man and such a brilliant writer I hope you enjoyed it and don't forget his new book is out this week it's called The Armour of Light and it's the fifth novel in the Kingsbridge series I'm going to rush off and buy one now Okay, see you soon. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. just heard a stripped media production.